Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, Christopher Shin. He's a travel photographer who has really made a name for himself in the NFT space in the last six months. And I'm super excited to talk to him because I actually have been following his journey from pretty much the beginning back about six months ago when he created a piece called Stop AAPI Hate. And I reached out and was like, whoa, this would this is such a cool idea for like an NFT and you're donating the proceeds to charity, like awesome stuff. Love your photography as well. And this was in the beginning of pretty much like both of our journeys of learning about NFTs and exploring NFTs. And it's just been cool to be able to follow along each other's journeys over the last six months and see how far we've come in the NFT space. So welcome, Christopher. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Of course. So I want to go all the way back to before you became this famous NFT photographer that you are today. Who was Chris before that? And like, what what was your background? And how did you get into all of this? Well, thank you for the great intro, by the way. And thank you for, you know, opening my eyes to the potential that Stop AAPI Hate NFT uh, made a big, big change for for the organization, which I'm super proud of. But kind of going way back, I kind of grew up in the suburbs playing sports, you know, as I played hockey, played baseball, tried basketball is terrible, found music in elementary school. And, you know, unfortunately for my parents, I chose drums. The house got a lot louder <laughs> for the next probably 15 years. So I've played drums all the way through high school, out of high school into my college years and played in bands and did that whole thing probably until like 27 or 28. And then sold all my drums to buy some camera gear and kind of really went down the rabbit hole. But, you know, along that journey, I, I picked up a job as a, a social media manager for an entrepreneur that had like a handful of small businesses. And that's where I really kind of found my love for photography is just the photo aspect of that whole gig. But yeah, that's the that's the TLDR version of my journey up until the NFT space. Yeah, there's quite a bit of stuff. There's a lot there. Also, it's funny because my sister and I both played drums growing up. I didn't start until high school, but she's a lot younger. And so I got her started when she was still in elementary school. And much to my parents' dismay, (laughs) as I'm sure your parents can relate. (laughs) Yes, very loud. Yeah, very, very. So, okay, so you, you got into photography through this social media job that you had. And then at what point did you decide, you know, like travel photography was like the angle that you wanted to approach from the most? I think it was just seeing like all of the talented photographers on Instagram that I was following. Obviously, Instagram changed the game for photography in a lot of ways of just kind of giving people that platform to share their best work and create communities and, you know, land like brand gigs and find work through Instagram as well. So I think just seeing all of the work that was on Instagram inspired me to want to get out there and do the same thing. And then, you know, photographers like Chris Burkhardt that are world famous travel photographers like Jimmy Chin, just seeing 
these documentaries and short films on YouTube and just all these adventures that people are going on with their cameras and coming back with this like incredible work, I think really inspired me. And I've always wanted to travel the world and just doing it with a camera in your hand just sounds like that much more fun. So it's like, why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Combining like the best of both worlds. And when you say travel photography, most of your photography is like landscape photography, right? A lot of it. Yeah. I, I've had um, a couple collections on in the NFT space that were a little bit more like street kind of stuff, but definitely kind of found my footing as a photographer, just getting out to places like Yosemite and the California coast and just kind of, you know, visiting different landscapes and trying to kind of figure out my craft in those places. I guess like walk me through your process of how you come up with a collection and then how you decide, you know, where to travel to, to take photos of, and then what exactly to photograph, like what, what's your thought process there? Well, with Yosemite in particular, living in the Bay Area, you know, I moved up to Seattle last year, but I lived in the Bay Area for 31 years. And I was lucky enough to only live about three hours away from Yosemite. So once I really started leaning hard in the landscape photography, I just found myself going back there all the time because it's such a beautiful place and there's just so many things to take photos of there. And, you know, obviously like the greats like Ansel Adams, you know, made a huge name for themselves with their photos that they took in, in Yosemite as well. And they just had a lot of history and significance and just a place that was close enough to where I lived to be able to go and, and get away from the Bay Area with my camera and try and just learn new things. Like I always go through dives down my external hard drives and look at some of the old pictures I took there and some of them I'm like, man, I wish I had a different lens because this is just like way too tight or, you know, I wish I would have taken this a little bit differently or, you know, had a different composition with this shot. But it was just a beautiful, amazing playground for me to kind of just go out there and try new things and, and just find what worked for me. And then as far as like the collections, I just want to pick collections that kind of tell a story or share an experience at the end of the day, because those are the things that got me into photography is just seeing other people's experiences and kind of latching onto the stories that they told with the photos. Um, so I think that's a big, a big aspect for me. Do you curate the collection in your mind first? Like you craft this narrative that you want to portray? Or is it like you just travel around and, you know, see whatever is interesting? And then from going on a deep dive down your hard drive, you're like, oh, this could be an interesting narrative to tell there. Yeah, I mean, there's two collections specifically that I have on OpenSea. One's called Bali in black and white and the other one's Tokyo a love story and they were both black and white collections that I used a mirrorless camera with I now shoot a lot of film but with those it was just it was a trip I took a couple summers ago before the pandemic and it was a life-changing experience for me it was my first international travel I'd always wanted to get get to Japan Bali ended up being absolutely incredible. And, you know, along that whole trip, I was just shooting photos along the way, kind of chronicling the whole trip, like the food, the landscapes, the people, the dogs, like in Japan, it was food, buildings, like everything that I came across. And it was a trip that holds a very dear place in my heart. And I just wanted to share that with people in hopes that it would inspire them to travel as well when, when it's safe to do so. So with those, it was definitely not a preconceived collection. You know, obviously NFTs weren't even a thing in my mind when I took that trip. But my third collection on OpenSea is called By Way of Water. And that's something that's a work in progress. That's been a little bit different as I'm shooting an ongoing series. So with NFTs in the back of my mind, kind of picking, 
you know, different vantage points and perspectives I want to go out and shoot at any specific time. It's definitely been a different experience. Yeah, for sure. I, I've been seeing a lot of your By Way of Water collection. I guess like the theme of this is sort of like you showcase people and experiences and landscapes that are either taken like of water or from the vantage point of water, right? In the Washington, Seattle area, there's a ton of ferries that go all through like the Puget Sound uh, to like Lopez Island, the San Juan Islands, Orcas Island. There's tons of places up here. The main thing for me is my family lives across the Puget Sound in Bainbridge. So we always take the ferries to go see them instead of driving, you know, two hours around, taking the long route. And uh, it's just always been something that inspires me. You know, I, I used to love getting out of the car and going up on like the passenger deck and just soaking in all the scenery. It's very calming. You know, you see a lot of people that just kind of look like they're sitting kind of soaking everything in, having their own experiences. You see families, you see people commuting. But for me, it's kind of represented this connector to both my family, but also connected to adventure and exploration because I'm new in Seattle relatively. You know, I've been here a year and these ferries are kind of like the gateway to get out there and explore all the surrounding beautiful islands and Olympic National Park is across the ferry. Like it's been a vessel for me to really kind of find my footing as a film photographer, which is something that's also kind of new, new to me this year. So it's, it represents a lot of different things for me, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it's a very water-based, <laughs> ferry-based collection. Yeah, I love that. And when you say film photographer, what does that mean as opposed to what? So I have a mirrorless DSLR camera, which is all digital. And then this film camera is all shot on analog film. Earlier this year, my mom, my dad passed in 2008 when I was 18 and she still had his camera. And she texted me one day like, hey, did you did you want your dad's old camera or not? And I was like, I don't know, like send me a picture. But like, what do you have? And in the back of my mind, like I'm following film photographers on Instagram, like, you know, there's all sorts of different photographers, but I always have found an attraction to the aesthetic of film photography. It just kind of has that timeless kind of raw look to it. And she sent me this picture of this like mint condition Canon camera from the 80s that my dad had bought and she still had it. And I was like, yeah, I would love this, you know, just like kind of do something different. Because at the time I was feeling a little bit kind of bottomed out with with digital photography for whatever reason. And I feel like this film camera coming into my life kind of just like reawoke this creative part of me that was like aching to be <laughs> reawakened. So yeah, just shooting film has been a big, a big pivot for me, but it's definitely ignited a bunch of creativity. Is the recent collection by way of water, was that all shot on film? It was. Yeah. So that collection is kind of like the, like a Genesis film collection for me. You know, I kind of see myself shooting film primarily moving forward. You know, obviously I still have the DSLR, the mirrorless camera for you know, different gigs I have to do, whether it's like some product stuff or doing like family portraits or something. It's, it's just easier to use those, obviously, because film, when you're a good film photographer, you, you know when you got the shot. But, you know, when you're still kind of experimenting like I am, it's always a question mark. <laughs> so I don't want to go shoot like family photos or a wedding with a film camera and then come back and be like, oh, crap, like everything was overexposed. You know, I didn't load things, you know, just so many things could go wrong. But yeah, that collection's kind of like the Genesis collection for me as a film photographer, just kind of putting my film work out there for the first time. And it's been received with pretty open arms, which I'm I'm super happy with. It's obviously pretty niche, you know, like if you never rode a ferry or been in the Seattle area or have any experience with it, it kind of leans on 
hoping that you just like film photography or you appreciate kind of like a street photography element. But yeah, there's been a really good response to it. So I'm, I'm super happy and I'm excited to continue shooting film moving forward. That's awesome. And then what's the process from transferring the film to like making the film uh, an NFT? And then also I've seen some of your pieces. I don't know if it's from the By Way of Water collection, but I've seen some that like are not like video, but like they they kind of like move. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that piece, I just recently burnt that piece because it was it was just sitting on foundation for a long time. And I might take another stab at it later. But I think you're talking about the piece I had called Look Down. And it was a series of, I think, 49 photos that I took looking straight down over the edge of one of the ferry boats. And something I made a couple of years ago, actually, you know, prior to NFTs and just thought it would be fun to kind of create a piece that had some movement with it because I was just firing off a ton of shots over the boat and the water patterns are constantly changing. So I just kind of threw something together and, and put it up on foundation for a while. And, you know, right now it's a challenge to get moving pieces, the recognition that they require with Twitter, because, you know, any videos you upload to Twitter usually get kind of crunched down and the hyperlinks that load from foundation don't show movement. So you really have to depend on someone to click like three times to really see the piece, how it should be viewed. And that's a lot to ask in such a, a high paced environment. So I'm going to wait. I'll probably bring that piece back eventually. But, you know, that was also shot on the fairies. But to touch on your question about the process of like shooting film to making it an NFT, I don't develop my own film and I don't scan my own film, but there are film photographers in the community that do do that. And I commend them because it's a ton of work. <laughs> But I'll shoot my film, wind it up, take it to the print lab in Seattle. They'll develop it, scan it, and then actually send me digital scans. And then from there, I usually don't do a lot of post-production on anything. If anything, I'll adjust like highlights and shadows, maybe bump the contrast a little bit. But most of the images that are uploaded are, are damn near raw, like raw film. Yeah, and then it just goes from there. You put it out in the world and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think there's something like really beautiful about that, because there's so much editing that goes on, like, especially I mean, you're on Instagram all the time. That's like, where you discovered this. So you know, like, people post all the time on Instagram, like the before and after, you know, like, this is the raw shot that they got, and then how much they edited it to make it look like, you know, really vibrant and like really cool. So yeah, I think there's something really beautiful about like, this is just the raw shot that you got. Yeah, it's exactly how I saw it, you know, and shooting with you know, film cameras like my, my Canon that was my dad's has a, a 50 millimeter lens on it. And then the other camera I use has an 80 millimeter. So it's, it's pretty close to what you're actually seeing. You know, it's not like I'm shooting these things with like a 100 to 400 millimeter crazy zoom lens where I'm like on the other side of the water taking a picture of something like a half mile away or something crazy. So it is cool to get the scans back and, and kind of see the photos you took because it, it brings back those memories, you know, because it does take a while to get film developed and scanned and you don't have the luxury of being able to look at the photo on the back of your camera as soon as you take it either. So you kind of have to wait. <laughs> so it's it's a whole different experience, but it's really fun. I often describe it as like Christmas morning, like you get your email with like a WeTransfer link and you're like, oh my gosh, like they're finally here. The pictures have arrived. And then you open the folders and you get what you shot. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's humbling, but it's always exciting. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. So between, you know, Seattle and the, the water, the ferries and Yosemite and Tokyo and Bali, do you have a favorite place that you've photographed? I mean, obviously, Yosemite holds a very special place in my heart just because, you know, it's kind of where I, I feel like I really started my landscape photography journey. But I'm really itching to get back to Japan, <laughs> mostly because... We were there for, I think, five days. We spent nine days in Bali, five days in Tokyo. And we were supposed to go back to Osaka and Kyoto in 2020. But obviously, the pandemic kind of squashed all the travel plans. So I'm, I'm definitely itching to still make that trip because, you know, I feel like it was, <laughs> it was kind of stolen from me. And now that I'm shooting film, I'm also like very excited to go over there and shoot film primarily. I'm just kind of going there with a a different perspective. And yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Japan. It's just such an amazing place. I absolutely love Japan. And if I can give a recommendation or a request to add Hokkaido to your list too, I think you can get some really, really beautiful shots, especially if you go in winter, just like the kind of gloomy, but like very raw and like shots that make you feel something. I would love that. Before I moved out of the Bay, we actually met a couple that they made food that like pop ups at different breweries and they were one of them was from Hokkaido. So she's always like, if you ever go to Hokkaido, like, let me know. I got a bunch of recommendations for places to go. So it's definitely on my list. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And they have all these like hot springs there too. So getting that like hot steam coming out of like a cold winter day, that'd be a sweet Amazing. Shot. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so I want to go back to when you first learned about NFTs earlier this year. How did you hear about it initially? And then how did you like continue to learn about it? And what made it click for you? Because I think like in the beginning of this year, when everybody was starting to learn about NFTs, a lot of people were like, you know, this is just a JPEG. Like, why would I pay thousands or tens of thousands or millions of dollars on like what is essentially a JPEG? And I think some people still have a hard time wrapping their minds around it. So how did it like, when did it click for you? And what was it that made it click? Gosh, so being on Instagram, a photographer named John Wingfield that I follow is a great landscape photographer and street photographer now shoots film. I remember seeing him posting like, you know, photography's happening on Twitter now, like it's all good at Twitter. And I, I had used Twitter in the past as kind of a, a vessel to kind of just like bitch and moan about <laughs> my sports teams and just kind of vent about sports. <laughs> so that was way, way long ago, had deleted that Twitter account came back kind of with the intention of, of sharing my photography. And I ended up in like a Pacific Northwest group chat with a bunch of photographers. And one of them was Judy Lindsay. And she started talking about NFTs. And a lot of people in our community hold Judy Lindsay up as this like NFT OG, like kind of the gateway drug for all of us. And she was started talking about NFTs. And I started to see it more and more and start following more people. And just kind of tried to wrap my head around it for a long time before I even got into it. And, you know, to be completely transparent, like when I minted that stop AAPI hate piece on OpenSea, like I was still super confused by it, you know, just like, am I doing this right? Like just setting up royalties and just, it's very foreign to someone who's never done it before. And I did take a lot of time to try and wrap my head around it and read different articles and, kind of pick the brains of other photographers that had gotten into the space before me that were kind of experiencing a little bit of success. So I would kind of just say like I ended up in it by happenstance of just following 
certain people that were kind of already starting to go down the rabbit hole. And luckily they were, you know, willing to let me kind of pick their brain, which I think is a huge part of it. Yeah, for sure. So how would you explain NFTs to like a photographer today who like has never heard of it or has heard of it and is still very confused? I would explain it to someone as just kind of like it's a proof of stake kind of thing. Like it's almost like a certificate of authenticity if you're thinking in in the way of like in the mentality of like prints. People often do like a, a limited run of like 50 prints and it'll come with like a certificate that's like this is number three of 50 with a signature and it's it's official. And I feel like with NFTs, because it's in the blockchain, there's that proof that like you bought this, it belongs to you, it's in the blockchain. And anything that happens from this point out is also going to be in the blockchain. So there's this trail where you can always see the history of this piece and know that it was minted by me. It's from me. It's authenticated by me. And there's just kind of this digital authenticity aspect to it. I think that'd be the easiest way in kind of a short, like nutshell way of explaining it. But obviously, like it's it's dense. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How would you compare the experience of being a photographer and selling your photographs in the web two, our traditional web two world versus in this web three world with NFTs in terms of like anything, like however you think about it in terms of like building a fan base in terms of like your earning potential as a photographer, any of those things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because when I got into the Twitter space, I was still really promoting prints. You know, I wanted to sell prints and, I think when you and I connected, I was really like really deep in promoting that stop API print, which did great. Ended up raising over $20,000 for stopaapihate.org with a photo that I took in San Francisco's Chinatown. But at the time I got into Twitter and it was all, it was, I was very print, print heavy, you know, it was, it was web too. It was like, how do I sell things on my print shop? And it quickly became this super strong community around nfts on twitter where everyone's promoting each other and lifting each other up and you're connecting with people through twitter spaces and group chats and all these different things where it just felt like um it just felt like everyone always says like we're early and i feel like we are all early and we all realize that and we're all kind of just like in it together and i think that's been like such a huge difference because you know with instagram it felt like everyone was just promoting themselves and kind of in it for themselves. And in the Twitter NFT world, it feels like right now we're all kind of in it for each other. And when one of us wins, we all win. And I think that's been super infectious and played a huge part in why it's attracting more and more photographers. Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel that as well. Like not even being in the photography world or like exclusively NFTs. I I would say that that's true for like just the Web3 community in general right now. Do you still sell any physical prints or are you like fully moved over to NFTs? I do. I I sell physical prints when I can. For a lot of the the work I have on foundation, I'll, I'll usually kind of include a physical print if the collector wants it. And I think, you know, it's it really varies from collector to collector. Some people are just so in like the web three world that they're like, I don't, I don't need a print. Like I got the digital version. That's all I need. I'm going to display it on a digital frame in my house at some point. Like it's all good, but there are some people too that, you know, want to put their art on their walls and they're happy to accept it. So it is kind of like straddling a little bit of both worlds in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I love selling prints, but I also am very much focused on, on selling my NFTs. Yeah, I think it's cool that you offer both because I I have heard a lot of people say, you know, that like 
when they were able to display their NFTs in a digital frame and hang it on the wall and see it, that made them understand NFTs a lot more or like the value of NFTs because it related to something that they're familiar with in the traditional Web2 world. So I think having that like intermediary of like you get this NFT, but you can also get a physical print, you know, to help you realize like what this is. I think that's helpful for people, too. Yeah, I think for now, that's how it's going to be. And I think once once we start to see these products kind of hitting the market that are giving a more kind of optimized way to show off your NFTs, you're going to start to see that merge a little bit more towards the Web3 angle where right now you have like infinite objects and you have people kind of like MacGyvering their TV situation to be able to display things. But once we have like some apps out there and some dedicated screens that are going to optimize how NFTs are displayed, I think is when you're going to really see that shift. Yeah, definitely. And have you noticed a difference in terms of like building a fan base or interacting with your fans in went back when you were selling prints primarily like on Instagram versus now when you're selling NFTs? Yeah, it's kind of funny. So I never really had a massive following on Instagram. You know, like I had my friends, I had a few people that would see my work along the way if, you know, another account happened to like share one of my Yosemite photos or some other landscape shot I took, but it was never anything that really popped off until that stop AAPI hate campaign that I pushed. And that brought a ton of people in. It was great. It was super positive. Like people were super excited and thankful that I was doing that. And it felt good, you know, because my, my partner is half Chinese, half Vietnamese. And just seeing everything that was happening when I was pushing that print, it was it was heartbreaking. And, you know, we were afraid for her parents to go to Chinatown in Oakland because we were up here. And it was just a really weird kind of disappointing and saddening time. But to see kind of that community form on Instagram is really exciting. And I appreciate that a ton. But I was never by any means like an Instagram photographer with a big following. I still only have like maybe like 3,000 followers over there. But with Twitter, it felt like things started to happen really fast before Twitter kind of changed the crop for photography. Sets of four were really popular. So you could kind of put out these little mini series of photos that kind of told a story it was from one day of shooting or something and people would be like super into it and retweet it and quote tweet it. And then you get a bunch of followers and then Twitter made the move to make a better crop. And that's what brought a lot more photographers over. Cause like, Oh my gosh, this is just like Instagram, except I don't have to like curate a grid. I can post anything I want. It's going to show up in the timeline. People are going to be into it. Super positive. And as far as like the community here, it just felt like it just grew really fast. And then I started hosting, you know, Twitter spaces for artists and being in other spaces with other people. And it's just kept growing from there. And it's been, been really, really exciting. And I'm super thankful for everything. Yeah. And you've done such an amazing job with getting involved in the community. Like I know you say that, you know, it just felt easier to build a community on Twitter, but I feel like you were really intentional about it as well. And like really put yourself out there, at least from what I've seen, like looking back now to like the last six months of building up this following, like what were some of the most important things that you did? And like, what do you see as some of the most important elements to community building in general? Just being kind and welcoming, I think has been something that I've tried to really focus on because when I was getting into this space, it was because other people were welcoming and willing to give me a moment of their time to kind of answer some questions that, you know, may have felt kind of pedestrian to them at the time because they 
had kind of wrapped their head around everything. And then here I come like, Hey, like, what does this mean? Or like, how do I do this? Or, you know, just all these super basic questions I probably could have found had I just like dug around OpenSea or done some Googling, but just being really conscious to try and be like super friendly, really welcoming. And then as I started to kind of see my Twitter spaces having like good turnouts, you know, dozens of people, hundreds of people, whatever it may be, I just kind of started hosting spaces for people to talk about their work and kind of meet other people, hang out, talk. Like, it's been really beautiful to have, you know, photographers from India talking with people that are in Canada and all over the world connecting on Twitter. And now I feel like I have, you know, all these friends in different parts of the world and I can't wait for things to be safe to travel again so we can actually like meet each other and show each other around all these places that we're from. But at the end of the day, yeah, it was just being, you know, welcoming, super nice, just being friendly with people. You know, it's just like it came very naturally to me. And it's something that I still try and do every day is just remember that some people are brand new to the space. And whether that be someone coming into a Twitter space that doesn't know that it's like not etiquette to come in and show your stuff right away or, you know, there's just little things that you have to remember, like they might be new here. It's up to us to educate and be friendly because we don't want to be gatekeepers. We don't want to turn people off. We want more people to come in. So I love everything you just said. I think in this space, it can be really easy to be exclusive, you know, to like feel like you understand what's going on and you have this community of, you know, other really smart people that understand what's going on and to like sort of like gatekeep newbies from getting into the space. I think a lot of people find themselves falling into this, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So I think it's really cool that you've been able to really like learn and grow so much. You know, you're somebody that, how many followers do you have on Twitter now? Like 10K, more than that? I think I'm getting up there. Yeah, I think it's somewhere around like the high eights. But it's, it's yeah, it's crazy. Like, I feel like from week to week, it grows. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Like maybe by the time this actually comes out to the public, it will be 10K, but like basically around 10K and you still have this attitude of you're like so welcoming to everybody and so patient with, you know, everybody coming in who maybe doesn't understand the culture, doesn't understand the etiquette. I think that is something that is really lacking in this Web3 world that, you know, people can really look at you and like model their actions after. Yeah, and it's been great, too, to see, like, more and more of the people that were popping into spaces that I was hosting are now hosting spaces of their own and, you know, putting up spaces for other artists to share work on their spaces and just kind of seeing that kind of blossom out and see more and more people that, you know, at one point were kind of apprehensive to talk in a space are now hosting spaces. It's like, it's great to see. And, you know, I'm trying to hop into more like web three spaces and just kind of be a sponge and like soak up things, you know, because I mentioned earlier before we started recording, I'm not super, super techie. So for me, I'm, I'm still trying to kind of build that knowledge, that foundation of exactly how all the guts of everything work, because that's not where I come from. You know, I'm, I came to the space as a photographer and seeing this as an opportunity to sell photography. And now I'm kind of playing catch up and trying to soak up the knowledge of people who have been here for a while. So without those people, none of that's possible unless you're reading articles and everybody tells you something different. So it's just good to kind of have different people like myself in the community that are willing to kind of spill some knowledge. And if you're there to soak it up, great. And if not, like someone else will tell you eventually, you know? 
Yeah, 100%. Also, I, I don't think you're playing catch up. I think you're still very, very early. So I think whatever <laughs> you're learning now, you're still very early. I definitely don't think you're playing catch up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to have. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is I know you have some of your NFT art photography on Foundation, and then you have some on OpenSea. How do you decide which platforms to use for like launching certain things? The main thing is, well, first of all, there's trends. So for a while, everyone, landscape photographers were selling work on Foundation. There was one collector, Vince Cactux on, on Twitter, who was doing his part to support a ton of us and, you know, spending good ETH on people's work and really uplifting a lot of artists when <laughs> there weren't really a lot of collectors collecting NFT photography in general. So I think initially a lot of us kind of turned to Ed Foundation because it had that kind of exclusivity. It had a better like UI UX, you know, it wasn't as confusing as OpenSea and people were collecting there. But then there was a shift where all of a sudden collections got really popular and people were putting out, you know, sets of like 25, 50, 100 images and not having to pay that upfront minting and listing fee on OpenSea was very attractive for that because if you're going to mint a 25 piece collection on Foundation, depending when you're doing it, it could cost you a couple thousand dollars. That was a big thing too. And then the secondary market as well. Foundation secondary market, I feel like still to a degree hasn't really popped off. Whereas like I got an email with a bunch of secondary payouts today from OpenSea. You know, I've never had a payout email for secondaries from Foundation. So that was a big part of it too. So I think they each have their their pros and cons. You know, I, I mentioned earlier OpenSea being like really confusing when I was brand new to the space, just kind of like clunking my way around, like trying to figure out how everything worked. But yeah, they definitely have the pros and cons. Yeah. And if you were to design your own platform, what would that ideal platform look like to you? Oh my gosh, it would be simple. <laughs> if there's one thing that we've kind of noticed with like Apple becoming like the the brand that they have over the last like 15 or 20 years, really taking over, it's the simplicity of things, right? Like I grew up using like a Windows computer and, and just the difference between the two, things were just way more way more steps, way more complicated, took a lot more time to learn how to do things, whereas Apple kind of made things very simple. And I think that's something that's really big with kind of onboarding people is trying to make things as simple as you can. And I know that like Foundation, if I'm not mistaken, just partnered with Manifold, which is Richard's thing, to incorporate kind of like a smart contract creator element, which is great because the big conversation right now with the photography world is everyone's saying like, well, you have to have your own smart contract. Like people should be minting with smart contracts now that they're custom. And none of us know how to do that, <laughs> you know, like absolutely none of us. But to have foundation kind of taking the lead and working with Manifold to create kind of a, a walkthrough process is kind of what I would want to see if I was making my own thing. It's just like, you might not know how to do this, we do. So we're going to help you do it so that you can add a little bit more value to your work with this like custom smart contractor, having a better UI UX so that someone coming to buy your work isn't trying to figure out how the hell to do it. <laughs> you know, it's like the easier, the better, I think would be kind of my philosophy if I had to design my own platform, but I will never, ever do that. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully someone technical is listening 
and will go and design something just like that now that you've said that. Yeah, I mean, I got to give a shout out to Kayvon and everyone at Foundation because I feel like they've done a great job kind of creating a platform that's not it's not difficult to use by any means. And by incorporating that smart contract tool in there, too, I think it's going to help all of us photographers kind of take that next step forward with with smart contracts. So I think they're they're doing the right thing for sure. Yeah, 100 percent. So looking ahead to the future, what do you have planned for the future? And then more broadly, where do you see the NFT photography space being in, you know, let's say three to five years? Gosh, I mean, for myself, I'm just going to keep creating and, you know, trying to find a balance to make sure that I don't burn myself out, but also keep staying true to kind of what I've laid out in my, my personal roadmap, which is, you know, to uplift other artists and continue creating art. So I, I think right now there's a lot of us that are going 100 miles an hour in the space and some people are experiencing burnout. You see people kind of go away for a while and come back. My future, I just want to find that balance so that I'm still creating because at the end of the day, like I'm a photographer first. I love being the host. I love lifting people up. But at the end of the day, like I need to fulfill my creativity because I'm a creative person. And if I don't create, I start to get a little bit mental and, and kind of depressed. So to get out and shoot is super important. So I'm definitely going to keep that as my priority moving forward. And as far as photography in the NFT space, I think it's it's looking good. Like we obviously just had like Justin Arasano sell a piece for, I believe like 1.1 million at, at Sotheby's and, you know, Drift's Where My Vans Go collection is going absolutely insane. And obviously like Kath does great things for landscape work. And, you know, she's been super successful, super rare. And I mean, there's just tons of photographers that they're doing great. And I think when that happens, it gets the attention of more and more people. And as we start to see this space grow, there's going to be more and more people entering that love photography. And all right now, I think like the collector to creator ratio is pretty unbalanced. And I think over time, you're going to start to see the collector side of that raise up more. And it's going to be a good thing for photography. I'm optimistic about it. And I think, you know, as long as we're continuing to try and innovate and like I said, incorporate like smart contracts and do those things to set ourselves apart in the space. It's going to continue to thrive. Yeah, for sure. Also that drift piece that you mentioned, I think I saw that you post something where it looks just like a Fidenza. It does. Yeah. I, I was lucky enough to get into the first drop that drift did for that collection. And if you don't know about Drift's story, like just do yourself a favor and, and Google it. He's been through hell and back and takes amazing photos but one of them was this shot looking straight down at all these crazy streets in black and white and it's got all these curves and angles and yeah it represents the black and white fidenza piece that i think starry night acquired so that was yeah that was a fun tweet <laughs> that definitely caught a lot of people's attention but i saw that and i was like holy shit this is a fidenza like this is like what yeah. the fidenza was like generated from <laughs> exactly yeah it was crazy Wow. Well, to wrap up, I have a couple of questions from our Twitter community. And then I always end every podcast episode with a segment called Explain Your Tweet, where I pull a couple of tweets and I give you a chance to explain them. So we'll start with the questions from the Twitter community. First one is from Herbal Gerbil, wants to know, what's the most rewarding part of your NFT experience? Gosh, I think the most rewarding part is just being able to meet like so many great people like yourself along the way. You know, we, we obviously connected very early and we've remained in touch, which I'm super happy for and thankful for. And there's just been so many positive connections I've made with other photographers that 
you know, I may have followed on, on Instagram for years, but never like DM'd with or had conversations with. And now we talk almost daily, you know, whether it's in text or in Twitter spaces. And yeah, I'm just thankful for the community I've been able to be a part of and help kind of cultivate. I'm excited to travel and, and meet all these people and see where they're from and kind of see the world with some some friends, you know, some new friends. And I think that's that's something that I'm super, super grateful for. And then the second question we have from Twitter is from Matt. He says, can you just thank him for being awesome? Thank you, Chris, for being awesome. <laughs> and then he says, also, what's what's a shot he hasn't taken yet that is on his bucket list? Oh, man, that's tough. There's a lot of places I want to get to and take photos. I think those would be like bucket list shots. We talked about Japan earlier. Gosh, there's, there's just so many places. Like I, I see so many photos from around the world from different artists and I just want to get there and and take those shots. And I think something that I, I try and do is kind of come in and take things from a little bit of a different perspective. So I think at the end of the day, like my bucket list shot is just giving someone just a different perspective of something they may have seen before. So it could be anything. I'd also love to take a portrait of Obama. <laughs> I think that'd be great. I would love to shake his hand and, and take a portrait, but that's just one. <laughs> that's a tough question. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Obama would be, I love that answer. That would be super cool if you got to do that. And I feel like he'd be super, oh, also Dave Grohl as a drummer. Dave Grohl seems like one of those people I would just love to have a beer with and be like, yo, can I, can I take your portrait too? And he'd be like, yeah, dude, sure, do your thing. I feel like it'd be super fun. So I'd say Obama and Dave Grohl at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah. very different vibes there. Two totally. very different vibes, but both would very be different. awesome. Yeah, they're both rock stars. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Okay, so let's go into explain your tweet. So I've pulled out a few tweets that I like to call out. The first one is from just yesterday, October 11th, 2021. You, this is a quote tweet. So you quoted Tyler Shields, who said, Dear my fellow artists, I want to start by saying how much I love all of you in this community and how connected we are. That being said, I want to ask you all to please take a moment to step away from the social media, even if you just take one day off a week. There's a thread it goes on, but you quote tweeted that and said, this is such an important message. Take time for yourself. You're nothing without your mental slash physical health. I, I just love this one. I try to do this weekly as well. I try to send like, here's your weekly reminder to take time away from the screen and get out in nature sort of thing. I would imagine too, like being an artist of any sort in this space, like in, you know, whether web two or web three, like that's, it's gotta be, the burnout has to be real. Like everybody has to experience that at some point and has to experience like some sort of just like mental struggle at some point as well. Right. Totally. A lot of us are creators, but now we're spending hours and hours of our day on Twitter, whether it's like flipping JPEGs or just on Twitter spaces. But a lot of us aren't getting out there and doing the things that brought us here. And I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I made a very conscious effort not to schedule any spaces because I just wanted to get out and shoot or hop in a space as a listener or a speaker if I wanted to, but not have anything solid so that I had that flexibility to go do what I want when I want. And it was super helpful just to be able to go out and ride the ferry a couple times and shoot some photos and kind of have that camera in my hand again and not be worried about Twitter, you know, because it moves so fast and there's such an element of FOMO in the space that it is challenging to kind of peel yourself away from it and get out and do things in real life. But 
it does so much to kind of recharge you and give you excitement to be back in the space. And at the end of the day, like you probably didn't miss that much if you step away for a few days. And I think it just does a ton for you. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So this next tweet I have is from October 2nd, 2021. It's another quote tweet. You said life lately and the original tweet says watching people's heads explode when I tell them I collect JPEGs is one of my favorite pastimes. (laughs) Yep, that is life. (laughs) What do people in your life think about like what you do now? It's funny because I feel like not a lot of people know because I don't I don't really blast it on Instagram. So like my friends that are on Instagram probably don't know that I do much with NFTs, which is kind of crazy because I have this like whole other life on Twitter (laughs) with the NFT space that they may not know about. But it's kind of funny whenever I tell my mom like, hey, mom, like I just, you know, I sold out a collection. I made like this amount of ETH or whatever. She's like, oh, cool. Like, well, just just make sure like you're smart about it. But I don't think she actually believes that there's like real, like there's real money attached to it. And she's like, okay, just like, you know, don't get your hopes up. Like, just be careful. But I'm like, okay, like she doesn't get it, (laughs) but it's fine. Like, but that being said, I do think like I take those opportunities even with like my mom or like my sister. She's like, oh, I've been seeing you been on Twitter a lot. Like, you know, selling NFTs, like, what is it? You know, and I'll I'll actually explain things to them and try and kind of boil it down to kind of a very digestible version of what NFTs are. But it's important even in those moments to kind of like tell your mom, like, what the hell you're doing on Twitter all day? You know, like, what's an NFT? Like, how did you sell it? What does it mean? Like, how much did you make? All this kind of stuff just kind of helps, helps them understand what you're doing with all your time. So it's definitely interesting if you were to tell your friends like, yo, I have these two JPEGs of these cats, like one of them has a hat on, one of them has three eyes, like (laughs) they're going to be worth a ton of money someday, like they're crazy, they're going to have companions and eggs and milk. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? But that's why we have our little club over here on Twitter and we all get it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I love your Twitter profile pic, by the way, with your two cool cats just like lurking in the background. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're my gang. That's awesome. Yeah, your gang. <laughs> okay, cool. And then I've got one more. This is yet another quote tweet. You're a big quote tweeter, I've just realized. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the original tweet says, 99% of the stuff coming out of the NFT space right now is absolute no effort trash. Yeah, art is subjective, but I'm not buying an animal you bought off Fiverr. Only about 5 to 10 PFP projects I'd even touch at this point, And you just said agreed. So what are those five to 10 PFP projects that you think are like real? Obviously, Cool Cats is one of them. You've got your gain and your profile pick. <laughs> yeah, I so right now I I own, I have two Cool Cats. I have a Roboto. I have a Dead Fella. I have way too many untamed elephants, <laughs> which is something I really believed in until the project kind of fell apart a little bit. And I'm hoping they bounce back. Yeah, same. I have one too. And I I really believe in the project, but like they've sort of just... I have like 17 of them. Yeah, I have a whole herd of elephants that I'm just... (laughs) Fingers crossed. I also have a Yeti. Fingers crossed that Yeti some days make a comeback. But I would say like obviously like CryptoPunks, Bored Ape, Cool Cats, Roboto's, Dead Fellas. Creatures are cool. I don't own a creature. I've considered. I think they're kind of fun. They're also kind of creepy. I had a crypto that unfortunately got sniped for me i didn't realize i had it listed just above floor before the floor went insane so 
RIP my cryptode, miss him. But yeah, I would say the five, obviously it's CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, Cool Cats. And then I would say probably Creatures and Robotos. But it changes every day. And there's so many. And that's why that's why I tweeted that tweet where it's like, yeah, agreed. Like a lot of it's trash because, you know, I'm in group threads and conversations with people like, oh, you're going to buy this? You're going to try this? I'm like, no. Like I'm not going to and I'm not going to spend any of my money on this stuff. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just there's so much of it. I'm like, I'm not I'm not touching that. But, you know, teach their own. I think your list is pretty solid. The glaring thing that it's missing is a pudgy penguin, I'd have to say. <laughs> you know, I missed the boat on pudgy penguins. I do see them quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm bullish on the penguins. But also another one, speaking of creatures and how creepy they are, if you want to check out another creepy one, toddler pillars is like super creepy. I thought you were going to say claylings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> No, toddler pillars, super creepy. Have you seen those? No, toddler pillars? Yeah, toddler pillars. They're really creepy, but also very intricately designed. And there's like so many properties and traits that I'm like kind of impressed at the same time. I'm going to try and find, is it one word? Yeah, it's one word. I can find it and send you the link after this. Yeah, you'll have to send them to me. They're like little babies with like all these arms and like... There, there's like Vitalik on some of them. It's hard to explain. I'll just send you the link after. <laughs> They're so wild. They keep getting crazier and crazier. They really do. They really do. Anyway, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know we've got to wrap up. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and so glad that we finally got to connect again, you know, after, you know, all this time of just keeping up with each other and our both of our NFT journeys. So thank you so much. Before you go, tell people where they can find you if they want to connect with you on Twitter or wherever, and then also where they can go to find all of your photography. Thank you. First and foremost, Diana, I really appreciate, you know, your time and being able to chat with you. I'm honored to be number 99 or number 100, depending on which order you, you edit these podcasts in, but 99 is a great number. But yeah, if you're trying to find me, I think Twitter is probably the best spot. Just Christopher Shin on Twitter and on OpenSea, I believe my username is Christopher Shin Collections. And then I'm on Foundation as well. I have two pages there, one's for film, one's for digital work. So um, foundation.app slash Christopher and then foundation.app slash Christopher Shin. So two pages, super confusing. I've got a link, fire link on my Twitter page. It takes you everywhere. So it's probably the easiest place to go. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. And it's Christopher with a K and Shin with two N's. We'll put it in the show notes Correct. too so you don't get confused. <laughs> but find him on Twitter, hit him up. Thank you so much again, Christopher. Thank you everybody for tuning in as always. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. this episode of the unstoppable podcast if something we said today resonated with you please rate subscribe and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network and remember the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends you can continue this conversation with us on twitter by tweeting your questions thoughts and ideas to unstoppable web we look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening